Today we come to the book of Jeremiah. I trust you've gone through Isaiah either by reading it, if you're a good reader, or reading and listening with an oral uh, Bible, which I like to do. I like to have the oral Bible with the words and someone's reading it and I'm following the words. So my eyes are seeing, my ears are hearing. The way if it's properly read, you know, I can feel the poetry, etc. So I hope you've gone through the book of Isaiah, very long book. And you probably said, whoa, that was long. But let me tell you, Jeremiah, in terms of the number of words, is longer. Though Isaiah has more chapters, 66, Jeremiah only 52, but Jeremiah is longer. Now, to be honest with you, I've always struggled to go through the book of Jeremiah. Now, I've read through the Bible many, many times, read to Jeremiah many, many times in the past, and I struggled to go through because there are several things about Jeremiah that almost all of us who are honest will struggle and say, wow, I can hardly go through this book. Number one, it's one of, it's, it is the longest book in the Bible. Number two, it's difficult. Seems to be random, you know, no topic, no, no proper chronology. Number three, it's depressing. So much warning and sorrow and sadness. And number four, it's boring. It seems to keep repeating itself and repeating what the other prophets have said in the past, including Isaiah. Right? So four things. If you don't struggle with it, you are very unusual. You probably ask yourself, why? Uh, it, why is this book like that? Number one, let's look at it. Why is it the longest book? And the book just before this is the second longest book, Isaiah. Why? Because these books are sharing God's heart. The writers are sharing God's heart, pleading with Israel, please, come back. It's like a mother having a really bad son all his life and is about to go into total destruction. And the mom is pleading with him. He spent his life rejecting his mother. He spent his life doing everything wrong, hurting her, and yet she never gives up on her son. This is a picture of God. God is showing us in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, after this Ezekiel, how he just pleading with Israel. You know that the children of Israel had been taken out of the wilderness, brought, protected by God in the wilderness, brought into the promised land, protected by the judges, protected by the kings, and after one thousand years of endless irritation to God, endless rebellion, God is still pleading, please come back using people like Jeremiah. I hope you see the heart of God and you don't see the, the length, the boring. You know, when you hear a mom pleading, if you just hear the words, it's like, oh, stop it, mom. 
I've heard that before, stop nagging. But when you see the heart behind that, you realize, wow, a mother's heart is so amazing. I hope you can see God's heart in this long, long book. Right? Now, Jeremiah is more than 10% of the entire Bible. If you add Jeremiah and Isaiah, roughly equally long, it's 20% of the Bible. There's two books. If you add the next book, Ezekiel, so Isaiah, then followed by, after that, Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, is 25% of the Bible, one quarter of the Bible, right? It's very long in three books. Out of the 66 books, make up 25% of the Bible. All pleading, right? You see the heart of God. Now, of course, it's long too because Jeremiah had a very long ministry. 40 years he ministered as prophet to five kings, right? So it's very, very long. Now, secondly, besides being long, it's very difficult to read. Why? There's no chronology. It's not like reading, you know, long kings and Samuel, you can, you know, you can follow the, the chronology. And our mind works that way, you know, we can, when we can see things moving along, it's okay. But in Jeremiah, it's like random. No topics, no chronology. Why? All right, it's like a, you're taking a mother's speeches to her children, a mother begging her children. All right, you just, it, it doesn't need a lot of chronology. Heart is very different from mind. Our Christianity is very cerebral, very brainy. We forget that God is also very much heart. Okay? So it's a collection of sermons, collection of warnings, collection of messages of Jeremiah over 40 years. Now, they were collected, actually, all this book is collected basically by a scribe called Baruch. You'll find in this book, I think it's chapter 36, it tells us that after 20 years of ministry, Jeremiah was in prison and he couldn't go and warn people. And so he got a scribe called Baruch and he told Baruch, write down my messages. And Baruch faithfully wrote everything down that he said. And beyond that, Baruch, being a good guy, went to collect anecdotes of his life. So there's narratives in it about he found out what Jeremiah did at a certain time, what happened. And so he founded events and he added events in, in the midst of the messages. All right. So basically this book is about the messages of Jeremiah with some uh, narration of events in his life. So it's quite random. Now the Third point is very depressing, okay? Now, Jeremiah was the last prophet before the siege and the exile, right? That's a, that is the national historical catastrophe of the Israelites. Coming out of Egypt is the national liberation. Then captured, city destroyed, Jerusalem burned, and the Israelites brought into exile is a national catastrophe. And so Jeremiah was the last prophet before this catastrophe. 
And so can you imagine his heart seeing 1,000 years of God's building up of a people totally gone? He's, he's seeing it with his eyes. And it's a picture of God seeing it with his eyes. Like a mother seeing her child, a beautiful child she gave birth to with all the potential, totally in drugs and, and uh, crime and wickedness. Can you imagine the heart pleading with him, please, before you hang, before the gallows, please come back. Please do make a change, all right? So he was the last. He, all the events coming up to this were sad, but this was the saddest. You know, you always see the end of something that had so much potential. It's so sad, you know, David the king, glorious king. Solomon ruling this vast empire, you know, all the people coming to him, looking up to his wisdom, seeing the glory of the temple. Everything was like the Jews were the center. The world came to it during the time of Solomon. And then now you see a slow deterioration. And now the, shall we say, like the company is going to go bankrupt and close. And that's it. Kaput. Right? Now, I think, can... That's why it's so depressing, you know, and Jeremiah had to deal with the last, he, he ministered to five kings, right? The first was Josiah, he was a reformer. But the, after Josiah, all the kings, the other four were weak, sinful, terrible kings. And so he's nagging them, he's warning them, he's pleading with them, right? So very depressing. And then the fourth point, it sounds very boring. Isn't the same thing? He's warning about the same sins Isaiah warned about and all the prophets warn about. Isn't it the same? Idolatry, immorality, injustice. I mean, that's what hurts God. These are the sins that really grieve God. You know, sometimes we think, oh, this guy, you know, doesn't know the Bible so well. He's not very smart. He doesn't learn the Bible. You think that's that's a big thing, you know? No, it's idolatry. And many Christians don't see that. We honestly don't. We have so many idols in our life, except they're not in figure and form. An idol is anything we put highly, trust highly, depend upon highly, love highly more than God. And I can tell you in our lives as Christians, there are so many idols. Nobody touches them. It's acceptable, just like the idols in Israel, the golden cult, acceptable by everybody. How can you call that idolatry? Everybody worships the golden cult. We also worship God. That's what the Israelites kept saying. We worship Jehovah God, but what's wrong to add a few idols, add a few extras? Baal, the sun, the moon, the bulls. What's wrong? Christians today are exactly the same. We trust God, but you know, I trust my job more to keep me happy. I trust my pleasures to find my satisfaction. I trust my pills to keep me in good health. God? Uh, yeah, I worship God too. They will tell you that. Right? But where is their trust? Okay? So we see idolatry. God just hammers it. Okay. It says in Israel there was an idol everywhere, every hill, every tree. 
I think in Christian lives, there are idols everywhere around us. So everywhere that we don't even realize it. I don't think the Israelites saw those as problems, all these shrines here and there. That's not, we worship Jehovah God. Those are just things. It's okay, right? Then immorality. Whenever there's idolatry, there's immorality. As I explained earlier, it's everywhere. The filth we read, the jokes we say, everything. It has to be a, of sexuality to sell anything and to make anything interesting. And lastly, of course, injustice. And we as Christians, I can tell you, I've seen Christian bosses, terrible. I've seen domestic helpers in Christian homes, shockingly treated. You know, just because they're poor, from another poor country, it's so sad. All right? So these are the same sins that Jeremiah hammers, just to keep reminding us, Christian, listen now, the same sins God hates. Okay? So this is I, the four reasons why we struggle through Jeremiah. But I hope you see that there are four reasons. Long, showing the heart of God. Difficult. Seems ramble, you know, jumble, random. Why? It shows when a person is great emotion. He doesn't speak. Uh, point one, mom tells the son, I don't want you to do this. Point two, like that. No, mom just, feelings just come out. It's random. And the warnings can sound so depressing. It has to be, right? And lastly, it sounds so repetitive. I hope you got the point why it is like this. So when you read the book and you see like this, get it. There's a purpose. You're peeping into the heart of a loving God who doesn't want to give up on us whatever till the very end. That's why we have hope when someone is rejected God, rejected, rejected God, we still share the gospel with him and say, trust God, God will forgive you. My goodness, he's hated God for. 80 years of his life, he's cursed God. You mean on his deathbed, if he says sorry to God, God will forgive him? I think so. Wow. How do you know that, PC? I see this. Jeremiah said, if you will turn, if you turn, God will not destroy this place. Wow. After a thousand years, still got chance? Wow. All right, who's Jeremiah? He came from a priestly family. Eli's line. He was born at the time of Manasseh, the worst king ever, right? Manasseh was the guy who put Isaiah, this is tradition, but Bible also hints at it. Isaiah was put into a hollow tree trunk, pushed into a hollow tree trunk, and then they sawed him in half. Okay, In Hebrews 11 it says, sawn asunder. There were people sawn asunder. Tradition says Manasseh saw, saw the body okay, of Isaiah. Wicked king. He, his own children he burned in child sacrifice to the gods of Canaan, Moloch. Manasseh also was the man who filled Jerusalem with violence. There was so much violence. When you read, you can hardly believe it. It's like a lawless city. Children could walk to play. Old men then walk on the streets. Violence everywhere. Corrupt officials. Jeremiah was born at that time. Okay? 
Now his name is very interesting. The name Jeremiah is kind of hard to translate. I believe it means to tear down and to build up. Tear something down and build up. And it, that summarizes his ministry. His job was to tear down, tell people, if you disobey God, everything will be gone. But if you will turn back to God, God will build you up. That's his, that's his ministry. That's, the, that's Christianity. All right? You continue to sin, you're in deep trouble, eternal. But if you turn, the mercy of God can build you up again. Okay? Now, he was ordained to be a prophet unto the nations before his birth. Just like John the Baptist. God can work in us before we are born. We, we are special before we are born. Every one of us is special. We don't abort a child, okay? <clears throat> he could have been ordained to be a prophet. <laughs> That's all in chapter 1, okay? Number 1, it says he was ordained in his mother's womb. Number 2, he was like a child. I think he was like 17 or so when he was ordained, called. But actually, from his mother's womb, he was already called. 17 or so, he became a prophet. But he was a very shy boy. He said, I cannot speak. And God gave him the ability to speak. That's all in chapter 1. Huh? Now, isn't it amazing? The last prophet, the one who has got to be the most powerful prophet, the final one, you know, it's like a relay race. The last runner must be the, the, the best runner, okay? It's the one who can't speak. You know, God has a way of choosing people for his own glory. Now, his task was so difficult, as I said, the last one, before Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed. So he begs them. He's called the weeping prophet, pleading with them, like a mother pleading with her, you know, with her son who would not turn. He was called a traitor by everyone. The king, because he told the king, surrender to the Babylonians. Just surrender. Others the city we burn the temple people. You sound like a traitor. You mean surrender to the enemy before we even fight? He told the prophets, false prophets, said, no, nobody will ever conquer Jerusalem. Impossible. It's God's city. No one can destroy the temple. It's God's temple. That's the false prophets kept saying that. He said the opposite. Wow, can you imagine the animosity from the prophets? Hundreds of false prophets saying this lie and one man saying the truth. The priests, you tell the priests the temple's gone, they're jobless. And the priests hated him. The people hated him because he kept telling them, you're idolatrous, you're immoral, you're unjust. So his heart, he had a super hard life. And God told him, you know what? I'm afraid they will never listen to you, like Isaiah. And in fact, God told him, I think you just stop praying for them. No point. They won't. Okay? So he had a ministry so hard. And also so fruitless. That's why he's called a weeping prophet. All prophets weep, wept, sad, hard lives. He was never allowed to get married because 
God told him, the city will be destroyed. Your kids will starve in the siege, just like everybody else. They starved. They ate their own babies during the siege of Jerusalem. It's all described. All right. So finally, his life ends. He's taken, kidnapped into exile in Egypt. Imagine the story. They left Egypt. He goes back. The Israelites, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, Babylon, around there. Now they go back to Babylon. One big cycle and back. And it is tradition says he was stoned to death in Egypt and died alone. Sad. You know, God's prophets, often that's their life. And yet they did it. They saw something bigger and better. Okay? So this is his life. What was his ministry? Okay, number one, warning the people, as I said earlier. Number two, telling them of the impending destruction of Babylon, of Jerusalem from the Babylonians. The northern kingdom, Samaria, had fallen to the Assyrians 100 over years earlier. But this time, he's saying, it's not the Assyrians. It's going to be the Babylonians. And true enough, the Babylonians were not a great power. They came into great power, knocked out the Assyrians, and they became the threat now. Okay, so he warned, it's not Assyria. It's from Babylon. And he even said, you know what? Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant. Can you imagine that? Instead of the priest, you are God's servant. Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant. Can you imagine how mad they were with him when he said that? Because God used Nebuchadnezzar, finally. When God's patience had finally, after a thousand years, that's how patient God is. They will not turn. And he used Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the city as his servant. So, warn the people. Warn of the destruction from Babylon. That's the second part of the ministry. The third part is the best part. It gets lost in this all this depressing news. The third part is restoration. After the exile, it's not the end. God will never forsake Israel. As God has ordained the day, and then the night, and then the day, and then the night. You can be sure of that. God's ordained it until the end of time. God, until the end of the earth, God has ordained that Israel are his people. He'll never forsake them. So the third part of his ministry, lost in all the sadness and warnings and depressing news, is the good news that Israel will be restored. They will come back. The word return, return, return is there many times in Jeremiah. But the best part is, and this to me is the, is the beginning of understanding what the New Testament is, is in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 31, Verse 33 to 34. 
Okay? Let me read that to you, and it's very interesting. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 to 34. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Doesn't it sound like our faith? Our New Testament? New Covenant faith? I will make a new covenant with them. Agreement. Okay? Of course, he doesn't mention Christ here, but Christ is mentioned many times as the righteous branch of David. There will be a righteous branch. And he says that one day, the law won't be on tablets of stone that Moses brought down, written, but it will be written in our heart. Caused by the Holy Spirit, right? And our sins will be forgiven through Christ, all right? But he tells us the secret of the joy of us believers, that we have the Holy Spirit who writes it in our heart. Many things that were erased when Adam and Eve sinned, okay? So I hope you see this as the hope they were going to go away. The tablets of stone cannot go with them. The temple cannot go with them. But God will be not in the temple, but in their heart. They will know God not because there's a temple they can go to and see the, the things around there and learn about God. No, 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 no. It's not like an Israelite boy having to go to the temple and say, Pa, pa. Abba, Abba, why so many sheep must die? Oh, son, remember Abraham? And then you'll tell the story, right? Soon every Christian will know Christ died for me. In our heart, we know that. You ask the Christian, how sure are you that Christ died for you? You never saw him. How do you know? I know. How do you know? All your sins are forgiven. I know. Are you sure there's heaven? Where is heaven? You seen it? No. I know. It's in my heart. The least Christian is it. From the least to the greatest. I've met Christians who cannot read and write. Very common. But you know what? Their faith is as strong as a rock. It's written in their heart. Wow. I like that. Okay? The unique part of Jeremiah's ministry was that he said, God's not interested in all these burnt offerings. Wow. That freaked out the priests, the prophets, false prophets. 
What do you mean God is not interested? So people thought Jeremiah actually was uh, denigrating, you know, the, 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 sacri the sacrifices. No, he was comparing the two. He said, God is more concerned about your heart, about you obeying God. Obedience is in the heart, not the rituals. Okay? You see, Jeremiah was preparing them for a day there will be no temple. And then Babylon, there's no more temple. After the Babylonians come on, come and into Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple. They burned it. It doesn't exist anymore. Okay? He was preparing them to worship God without the temple. Wow. Sounds familiar, isn't it? Okay? That's how when in, in Babylon, they started what they call synagogues. And Jeremiah was very much a part of this idea that they could worship God in synagogues. The word synagogue comes from the word synthesis, right? Gathering together. No temple, but they gathered together in Babylon. And up to today, Jews still gather in synagogues. No temple. To praise, to pray, and to study God's word. You know your church, the church you and I go to, the Christian church, it's just nothing more than a synagogue of Christian believers, not Israelites. That's all it is. Prepared by, foundation laid by Jeremiah. No other prophet could figure out that you could worship God without the tabernacle or the temple. You remember, right from Sinai, they were told to build a tabernacle. You continue until they build a tab temple. All worship was focused on in the temple. But Jeremiah was the first and only prophet that said, those are not the issue. Okay, and he laid down this foundation that one day you will be the temple of God. The words of God are not written in a tablet, put in the ark, in the temple, and put in the ark in your heart. All right? That is the beauty of this book. In the midst of all the darkness, there is this light shining. Okay, so we see here he, the return, the restoration of Israel, the writing the heart, a righteous branch from David. It's all in this book, but lost in the mass of depressing news. And lastly, Fourth ministry of his was to say, God will judge the nations that he used to judge you, especially Babylon. Many nations had been allowed by God to attack Israel whenever they were naughty. God used them as warnings. It's like a mother allows her son to go to jail and all that, just hopefully to warn him. But most of the nations allowed by God to punish Israel overdid it. They became wicked and proud. And so, the last part of this book, from chapter 46 to 51, shows God's judgment on those nations he allowed to punish Israel, but in the process, they thought they were so powerful and so great. And they were judged. Okay, can you see the fourfold ministry? Warning to the people. Impending destruction of Jerusalem. Coming. Terrible from Babylon. Number three, but then there's hope. 
that struggle will be regathered and amazing things are going to happen in your heart. And number four, the nations that punish you, you don't need to take revenge. God will do it. Vengeance is God's. Okay, so that was his fourfold job for 40 years. 40 years is always a time of testing, man. They tested this, this weeping prophet. He passed in full colors. He's up there with high honors, I'm sure. With my God. Now, a large part of this book is poetry, right? Every time God has, is dealing something so painful to him, it's in poetry. Because poetry expresses heart. Whenever God is giving facts, it's more prose. But when he's venting his anger, pleading, it's poetry. Okay? I would say majority of this book, vast majority, is poetry. Many, many of you probably have never realized that. You still read this book like prose. You still read this book like analyzing word by word rather than feeling, feeling by feeling. Very hard for Christians. Very, very hard. Okay, that's why the Bible becomes so dry to most Christians. Right? Rather than so beautiful a book. Right? Now, second part of Isaiah's ministry was acting. A lot of his poetry. I don't know how when God gives them the words, he can write out like poetry. Feeling, 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 and like a poet, you know. Ah, his writing is full of feeling. But the Lord was acting. This guy really had to act. He carried a yoke, he carried a pot on his head, he had to go somewhere and throw books into the river. He had to drama it. He didn't have to just embarrass himself with his words. He had to be embarrassed by acts. He had to do. You know, this this to me is like a lot of preachers stand there and just read their sermon, and they say, "I serve God." I don't think so. I believe you serve God when you stand up there. You better give your whole heart to your preaching. Okay, you know, some so so scholarly. You know, or nine out of ten, maybe. I'm sorry, ninety-five out of hundred. Preachers are scholars. Fact to fact, head to head, dead accurate. All the facts are dead accurate, but all the feelings are missing. I can't read the Bible that way. I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to preach that way. I hope you'll never preach the Bible like a bunch of facts. Okay? It's far more than that. The facts wrapped with feelings because God is not just head he's heart big heart and then a lot of the part of Jeremiah is prayers prayers wow his prayers are I call real prayers you know pulpit prayers are very nice they don't miss a beat they don't miss a punctuation they sound well written, theologically accurate. Not Jeremiah's prayers. Wow, it's almost sound like you dare say that to God. Wow. You share that publicly. Those feelings of yours. Don't, don't share those things. Not nice. 
of uh, his prayers were real. And it's put in the Bible to tell us God wants us, like a child, when a child goes to the father and shares his feelings. Imagine you're, you're a child when you find him. Pa, uh, I want a dog. You know why I like dogs? Because they are furry, because they are loyal, because they are man's best friend. Pa, please give me a dog. You know? It's like, uh, is that really a child talking to the father? I was like, oh, I want a dog, please give me a dog. I really like dogs, Dad. Why are you so selfish? You don't give me a dog. You know, that's how Jeremiah prayed. Compare this to the prayers we pray nowadays. Not a tear, not a passion, just words. So I hope we learn to pray from this book. Because that's what God wants. He wants our children to come to Him heart to heart with God. The book is basically four parts, very simple. Chapter 1 is a prologue. Who's this Jeremiah? How was he ordained? How God gave him the courage to speak? Told him you have to be bold. And then the bulk of the book, chapter 2 to 45, is about Israel. Terrible that. Scolding Israel all the time. Okay? Nagging of Israel. Warning of Israel. Then the last few chapters, the other nations get it. The ones who got proud and bullied Israel. They got it bad in chapter 46 to 51. And lastly, the last chapter, very strange. All these horrible things. The last chapter says of a king, Jehoiakim, was invited by king of Babylon to eat with him. This is also taught in kings. But it ends with this, almost like out of place in this story. Jeremiah is gone already. All this is mentioned there. Someone has added it probably. You know, Jeremiah wrote the book of Kings. He wrote Jeremiah. Lamentations, right? But this last chapter probably added by who knows who, right? But the last chapter is hope that the line of David is still eating with the king of Babylon, he's still alive, there's still a line. That root of Jesse is still alive, and the righteous branch will come out from this little stump that's left. Okay, so that's a little introduction to Jeremiah. What do you see in it? As I said, if you don't see God, why read the Bible? <laughs> do I really care about Jeremiah? Not really. I see the love of God. He never gives up. Huge heart. Finally comes a point, he says, this is that everything, I said prophets early, I warned, I said nations to punish, I warned. But after a thousand years, that's a long time. I believe it's enough, God said. Okay? I see the feelings of God. And so one verse, it's found in Isaiah 31, verse 20. In the King James, I like it. 
my bowels are troubled. You know, for us, we see our heart is broken. My heart yearns. In, in our Western thinking, it's the heart. Actually, the heart is just a pump. For goodness sake, the heart doesn't feel. The heart is muscles, like pump blood. Any doctor, any primary school science student will tell you the heart doesn't feel. The heart pumps. But in our thinking, it's the heart that feels. In the Hebrew thinking, it's not the heart. It's the belly. When they feel something, their bowels are troubled. Which is actually more accurate. Right? It says the bowels of God are troubled. The feelings of God are bowels. You know, Christian, please, I beg you, I beg you. Know the heart of God. All your Bible study, I beg you. Have a peep into the heart of God. I am so tired of scholarly Christianity. I'm not against scholarship. I study harder than most all of you. But if you don't see the heart, you miss it all. You miss it all. Bible study without being able to study the heart of God is heresy, right? Heresy. It is false Bible study. So I beg you, you see Jeremiah, when you read Jeremiah, maybe if you listen to it and a good reader, you can feel the living Bible actually does express the feelings far more than like King James because sometimes the words in King James, we don't quite get it, all right? So may I suggest to you, please don't overlook the book of Jeremiah. Please don't say, Oh, so boring, <laughs> right? I hope you say, Wow, my God, how He loves me. God bless you. Mm -hmm.